Hello, and welcome to the Humumu Halloween Home Horror Hoedown. The podcast where we watch 31 horror movies throughout the hallowed month of October. Ranging from the critically acclaimed to film school projects gone gruesomely awry. And we take them all way too seriously. I'm your host, Mike Hommel. And I'm your host, Sully Hommel. Now warning, we use a ghoulish number of spoilers, so watch the movies first. Second warning, we don't know anything about anything, so don't take us seriously while we take these movies seriously. Sully? Yes, Mikey? I like planes with stairs. (laughs) I don't think I've ever been on a plane with stairs. I have not either. I just like the idea. Right? They show them in movies a lot. Mm-hmm. And I've been on, like, transcontinental flights. I've flown over oceans before. Me too. Many times, actually. Com- Not me. Just a I couple mean, times. I mean, compared to the average bear, but... Bears don't do that a lot <laughs> at all. It's very rare. But I've never been on a plane that had a flight of stairs, I don't think. Hmm. It's very sad. It is. It feels like an old thing to me. Like, like yeah. something that only happened in the 90s. For the 80s? I don't know. <laughs> Just for a few years, they, and then they threw those planes away. They're like, this isn't right. working. Too right. many ghosts. Well, I mean, if this movie has anything to do with reality, <laughs> I know why they throw the, threw those planes away. Why is it's that? It's got to be really expensive to fly a double-decker plane that's only like half full across <laughs> <Yes>. the ocean. <laughs> yeah, there were not enough people on that plane it's like a money loss there were so few people that they were able to tell all the people who were in first class that they had to move down to uh economy class and there were still empty seats everywhere yeah but they save money by using cheap pressurization seals so it it evens out which you know worked out really well for everyone involved (laughs) yeah (laughs) And on that note, I feel like we should probably let everyone know that we were talking about the movie Flight 7500, which we just watched, and we are reviewing. That is exactly what we're doing. Uh, Flight 7500 was directed by the same guy who directed The Grudge. And Juwan The Grudge, which is what The Grudge was a remake of. Ah. And... It was written by the same guy who wrote The Uninvited. Yes, which is a movie we reviewed quite a few years ago, I think, and we really liked it. Yeah, it was good. And I mean, The Grudge, we reviewed earlier this month, and yeah, you know, they had good things about it. I can see the similarities. Yes, definitely. And not just because of the Japanese-style ghosts, you know, with the long black hair and the pale faces and everything. Was there? Um, Did we ever see that? Well, I feel like I definitely saw something like that when the really obnoxious lady who was on her honeymoon, when she like turned off her computer, there was a reflection in the screen oh, and like yes. of something that was behind her. And it seemed that seemed like one of those like kind of creepy, yeah. crawly, broken jointed mm-hmm. mo- ghost monsters. To start with, there were a lot of of very unhappy people in relationships on this plane. Yeah. Like, it seemed like, I mean, it was tied into the whole theme of the movie, but everyone on this plane was in some kind of less than healthy relationship, it seemed like. A lot of them. I don't know about everybody. Uh, Well. But, I mean, that was one of the problems I had with this movie. My theory for this movie is this would have been a good movie 
with this plot, if it had just had good characters that it delved deeply into who really worked out their problems by the end. Right. If that's what had happened, then the, the plot about the fact that they have to work out their problems to move on... Would have worked. Would have been nice. <laughs> if they had actually done any of those things. Yes. Like, these people all had problems, like you're saying. They had their messed up relationships, but eh. So very quickly to summarize this movie, there's a plane traveling to Tokyo full of lots of unhappy people. And um, it experiences some rough turbulence and then experiences a cabin depressurization event. Mm -hmm. And everything, you know, it's very chaotic. And then post-depressurization event, weird things are happening. Like there's creepy mist and people are disappearing and like all sorts of weirdness is happening, particularly around the body of a guy who, after the turbulence, had some kind of medical issue, I think. I guess. Or... Like his lungs stopped working. Yeah. But ultimately, they they are trying to figure out what's going on, what keeps attacking and, and disappearing people in the plane. And they find a Shinigami doll, a death doll, and realize that eventually, spoilers, that they all died in the um, depressurization event. And this is just their their spirits trying to find a way to move on, to let go of whatever's holding them here and move yeah. on. It's just not handled even sort of well. It's So give me an example of how this story didn't actually take advantage of the plot that it had set up. Maybe I, you know, I'm not a part of human society, so I don't understand <laughs> these things. But Susie, the flight attendant, was engaged, but she had doubts about her husband-to-be. She's Not that he was like a bad guy, but that she wasn't sure he was really the one. Right. And she's like, oh, maybe I'm settling. And so her big thing to work out, what she had to let go of, was she had to go, all right, forget it, and take off her ring, basically. And it's like, that's kind of the almost the opposite. Like, she wasn't hanging on to him. She was not that into him. So she didn't really need help moving on. Well, there was some mention at one point right before she disappeared that there was this other person, this the first boy she'd ever been in yeah, love with, yeah. and that that's what she was holding on to, maybe? Maybe. Like, because that's what she had wanted, that's what she kept comparing her fiancé to, <laughs> so, and why she wasn't happy. So the, then the end of the movie is her going, oh, all right, I'll never have that, I'll settle for this guy, oh, that's it, I'm dead. But doesn't she take the ring off? Yeah. So she's so, like... Even that's not it. So she decides... I, I don't want to settle for anything less than what I had when I was, you know, a, a teenager with my first ever love. And somehow that releases her from being trapped there. I, I don't understand. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Well, the Shinigami is like, well, you ain't never going to get that. So you're done. <laughs> Time to move on. Well, then there was the, like, punk girl with all the tattoos. Yes, the scorpion girl. Um, I thought her approach to meeting her shinigami was interesting like she was the one who had told them all about yeah. it um we we kept talking about this group of people who were investigating as the scooby gang like yes. on on um i mean obviously on scooby-doo but also on buffy yeah had uh, they were the scoobies and i kept saying that this goth girl was 
like their Giles. She was the one who who had all the information, right? Mm-hmm. So when she realized what was going on, she walked up to her Shinigami and like gave it a hug and, yeah. and like embraced, literally embraced the idea that she was dead. Yeah, but then like what was what was her problem? Why why was that an issue? Because she ostensibly was like, it's okay, you you know, death is cool. It's a part of life. We all have to deal with it and yet apparently she wasn't really as ready as she claimed to be because she was like hiding from death but then she was like "Eh, okay i'll give it a hug i mean maybe that's what it was is that she just like was more afraid of death than she pretended i don't know i I mean honestly what i think it is is that she was waiting for us to realize that they were all dead (laughs) so that she could leave like yeah (laughs) plot wise that's all that happened well yeah and that's how it felt is that none of this really mattered and none of it was any had any depth to it. Mm-hmm. It, it was that situation where the twist doesn't work because when you go back, you're like, oh, well, this doesn't fit now. Like, none of this makes yeah. sense now knowing the truth. And, you know, I mean, we've talked about that a lot. I don't like twists that don't work once the twist happens, mm-hmm. where the rest of the movie is broken or doesn't make sense. Yeah. It's frustrating. I think they had something here. Like, I think the twist, again, I already said this, it, it would have been good if the rest of the movie had been good. Mm-hmm. But I think they also had something with this whole idea of they're on a plane and the pressure drops and everyone dies and the plane just keeps going with everybody on it. That There's something creepy and interesting about that like this idea of basically the plane is now ferrying them to the land of the dead except it's not anything mythical it's really happening mm-hmm. and speaking of really happening that's what i was gonna say one of the things we discovered when we looked at imdb is that this movie the premise behind it that that everybody dies in this uh depressurization event and the plane just continues on until it runs out, runs of, out fuel. of fuel is based on a true story. Yeah. This really happened. And the true story is a little scarier, I think, because in the true story, you know, they had planes out there to look at it and try to spot anybody alive inside. And before it crashed, apparently, like, just before it crashed, they saw a conscious flight attendant in the cockpit trying to get their attention and waving at them. But it was... I mean, there's nothing you can do. It's oh. not Air Force One. You can't invade a plane that's in the air. Oh, that's so tragic. Yeah. Oh. It's a pretty awful event. And yes. now it's here for our entertainment, just like Chernobyl. Oh, I'm really, really glad that I didn't know that this was based on a true story before we watched it, because it would have made it almost impossible for me to watch this movie. Yeah. Like, I know that these people are all fictional characters, but at the same time, I would have been entirely wrapped up in how terrified the one live person on a plane full of dead people that's about to crash must have been. Like, oh. I'd also like to point out that that scenario is way more interesting than what happened in this movie. You know, just being surrounded by 200 dead people that were alive five minutes before well, it half it, an hour before. It tapped into that once the twist happened and it was revealed to us that they mm-hmm. had all died earlier because even though it's just their spirits their spirits are still walking around the yeah. plane now surrounded by corpses and yeah. you know that yeah that was that was definitely the most impactful part of the movie 
I thought along those lines, the part, you know, where they kicked everybody out of the upper cabin and left the corpse up there. Mm-hmm. I think that created like an environment that looked cool. Like it was, they actually made it like a haunted house. It looked like and felt like on an airplane. And Just like, that that upper deck yeah. being abandoned, you and know, it was like no kind people. And- foggy and... Things were like hanging down, like the oxygen masks were hanging down, and it was just like rickety, and it looked like a haunted house, even though it was legitimately a modern airplane. Yeah. So yeah. They, that was kind of cool. So did this feel like horror to you? And if so, what kind of horror would you call this? This felt like a disaster movie to me. Like in all the disaster movies, they've got the cast of cardboard characters, mm-hmm. and they take you around, and there's always way too many of them and you know you see them and then you see them try to get through the event and a lot of them die and don't and it it's just got that feel to it of disaster movie but of course in this case there's a supernatural element to what's going on so was it scary though (sighs) no was it scary when the overhead compartment opened up and and like ate the person and then that was my favorite i put i wrote I made a note of that with an exclamation mark because it was so fun. <laughs> yes, she got eaten by the overhead compartment, which is everybody's biggest fear on an airplane, I think. Uh, no. No? No. I do, in fact. So I am somebody who loves to fly. Like, I uh-huh. love being on an airplane. I like takeoffs and landings and a little tiny bit of turbulence the best. <laughs> like, that's... There's just something kind of exhilarating and exciting about it. Now you get past a little tiny bit of turbulence and I don't like it anymore. Like I don't actually want to die on a plane. Oh, I see. But but I think flying is fun. I enjoy everything about traveling by airplane. I hate it. Everything. Well, okay, everything except the ache in my knees that I get from sitting in economy class seats. But anyway, I'm not afraid to fly. Uh I do have one very specific fear about being in airplanes though that a baby will be in the seat behind you <laughs> or a person eating a sandwich <laughs> oh, or, i wasn't or thinking a of person, that but yeah like with the sniffles <laughs> no i am not like that woman <laughs> no i am like another character the young girl who ended up spending an awful lot of time in the airplane bathroom yeah and died in the airplane bathroom several twice. times. <laughs> um, Again, and, another reference to Buffy. She died twice. Oh, yeah, I see. And that is, in fact, my fear. And when they hit that turbulence, she's in the bathroom. Yeah. And they hit the turbulence. And, of course, she goes, like, ping-ponging around inside <laughs> the bathroom because there's no seatbelts oh, in there. all hard surfaces. And you're just, like, ricocheting. And that is the one fear that I have, is that on on the rare occasion that I get out of my seat, mm-hmm. because you have to go use the bathroom occasionally when you're on like eight-hour flights, the rare occasion, that will be the time where we hit actual bad turbulence and I won't have a seatbelt on and I will get ricocheted all around in the bathroom <laughs> along with all of the other things that are in the bathroom yeah. and... That I will perhaps die in an airplane bathroom with my pants down around my ankles. And that is something I'm afraid of. Well, the good news is you won't know it for several hours. (laughs) That 
it's even worse <laughs> because then someone will find me. Like they It'll found be a ghost. that girl. They're not going to tell anyone. They found her on the floor with her pants down around her ankles, and they didn't. Oh, and they just, just tripped over her and kept going. Oh, no, the first time they helped her up. Yeah. But, like, it's just everything about that feels unpleasant and traumatizing and embarrassing. And yes. just. It's all that. I will wait longer than I should on airplanes because yeah. of that fear. So that was the one scary thing in the movie for me. Yeah. Like, this movie was full of attempted scares very similar to The Grudge. But mm-hmm. not even, I'd say about half as good as that. And that wasn't scary. Like, this one's almost every time the big scare is a white hand reaching for you out of the darkness. That's basically it. Yeah. And they don't even explain, like, what that is. I guess it's a Shinigami somehow. But Maybe there's something about that lore that we would, like, if we knew maybe. more about it, we would have understood that more. I but it it wasn't clear to me. Speaking of unclear, the whole purpose of the creepy guy, you alluded to this earlier. Like why what was he doing? What I mean, I know what he was doing. He was carrying a shinigami to doll to Japan. Yeah. Okay, but you know, why did he die? Why was he creepy? What was going on? So the whole He's the beginning of all the weirdness that's happening on the plane, right? Like yeah. like the the turbulence happened. Everyone gets freaked out, and he has some kind of heart attack slash asthma attack slash panic attack slash I don't even know because, like, he was sort of being lifted out of his seat by some invisible hand. I think he was just, like, standing up straight, kind of, like, Like going rigid or whatever. Yeah. So it's very, like, through the whole thing, you think he's the beginning of all this creepy stuff that starts happening, right? Yeah, he's a misdirect. Okay, but when we go back and think about it, that happened before the event where they all died. Yeah. So that was completely unrelated. It's just a dead dude. So this plane, somebody died. <laughs> and then everybody died. And then died. everybody <laughs> died. Like, that's astronomical bad luck. It's really, really sad. Plus... In addition to all that, the honeymoon lady was on the plane, which is Ugh. astronomical bad luck for everyone else for on the plane. Everyone else involved. They're lucky they died. I wanted her to be surrounded by all the people that she kept going, <laughs> yeah. please no, please God no, please God that, no. Yeah. Like I wanted I wanted the goth girl on one side of her and the crying baby on the other side, and I wanted a kid kick in the back of her seat, and then I wanted like the guy, some guy Oh, the guy eating Chinese should have been right in front of her so those yeah, smells so the could smell, waft over. And and I wanted somebody to like spill something on her. I wanted <laughs> all of those things that that she was so afraid would happen to happen to her because she needed all of that. So she's the last one that we see in the movie. Like everyone else experiences their release and whatever, and they they are gone from the plane, and she's still there. She's not enlightened. So does that mean she doesn't let go of whatever it is that's holding her there? Or... Was that last, like, the hand that came out of the waist? <laughs> that was the dumbest. Thing, like, was that her, somehow her re- letting go? I don't what was think going so, on because her? that was the same kind of scary thing that happened to everybody else. I think that was just a scariness. But see, that's how a lot of them yeah. disappeared. I mean, the one lady disappeared into the <laughs> overhead compartment. The yes. other one got attacked by some guy in a suitcase. 
Like, well, and then the the Rolex thief just got attacked by an invisible thing, and he was gone. He also deserved it. Yeah, he was a bad guy. I mean, if you creep up into the upstairs <laughs> to steal a Rolex off the dead guy's wrist, and then make oh yeah, like, make a, a video. A, selfie video of it happening and making fun of him like you deserve whatever happened to you yeah so i don't know the honeymoon lady's another example of just like what was her issue what did she have to let go of you know like she had to let go of people caring about her wedding i, I don't even know it felt like there should have been some kind of resolve between her and her new husband yeah he should have been like all right honey start. i'm done <laughs> And we're going to separate afterlives. Uh, right? Well, and what about the kid who stole the Rolex? Yeah. Like he, his he... resolution was to steal a Rolex and take a video? Yeah. What? That's what's wrong with this movie is that they didn't they didn't put together the the whole premise of what they were doing yeah. didn't really exist. I feel like there should have been redemptive arcs for these people yes. like that redemption is the goal somehow but it did not seem to be that that was the case like, just like in it chapter two you know it was all about fighting this monster was really about resolving their own personal issues yes yes very simple well, i don't know if it's simple to create but simple concept could have been done and it happened in it chapter yes, two. yes it worked but it did not happen here no, at all no. like yeah there was there was something very broken about this this storyline and and it well, needed a lot of work. And that's why I think I can see that it came from that writer of The Uninvited, like mm. with the, you know, big clever idea and all. And I bet his mm -hmm. script is probably rather interesting and has all that. And it just fell apart with studio notes and all kinds of garbage. That could very That's well how it feels to me because because the idea is there and it's just not executed at all. Yeah. That's sad. It's always sad when a movie has a really strong premise and it doesn't come to fruition. The other strange thing about this movie is that it is rated PG-13, which you wouldn't think is strange. But what's strange about that is that it looks like it's made for TV. I'm assuming because it's PG-13, it was released in theaters and it does not look like a movie for theaters. No, it doesn't. I don't know what they were doing. This was very cheaply made. One little thing in this movie uh, brings to mind a real thing that's worth discussing a little bit the bystander effect it is called and ah. it is a sociological phenomenon okay in this movie there's a you know the point where the guy has his asthma heart blood death attack <laughs> right the flight attendant you know does the traditional thing where she gets on the microphone and it's like is there a doctor in the house she didn't say that but that and Nobody responded, and so the flight attendants go over and try to start helping him, and a random guy comes over and tries to help some more, and that he does that because he's a white man, so he knows that he can do right. something. He clearly knows more than those trained flight attendants. <laughs> uh -huh. And then, like, 30 seconds after that guy's been helping, this other guy shows up and is like, hey, I'm a paramedic, let me help. Interesting, because that took a really long time, right? Like... He should have been there right away, been like, oh, you need a paramedic? Did it take a long time because he was in first class upstairs? I was concerned that that might be the case. And it might be. But to discuss Still. the bystander effect, okay. let's say it took a long time. It kind of did. I mean, yeah. He, he, I do think he thought about whether or not to reveal the fact that he had this experience or this knowledge. Which is the bystander effect. In this effect, when a problem happens, you know, somebody collapses on the street or this kind of thing, like mm -hmm. in the movie happens, everybody 
will do nothing. And it's because everybody is thinking someone else is going to do something. I'm ready to jump in, but I know someone else will be more appropriate for this and they'll go first. And so nothing happens. Right. And that makes sense with this guy because he was a paramedic. So when she asked for a doctor, you know, (laughs) he was kind of like, okay, well, I'll let the doctors handle it but there were no doctors job is literally to respond first (laughs) (laughs) right but he eventually did step up yes and do something but that's the bystander effect it's an interesting thing that causes people to not do things and it's messed up because like so many other things in life it's caused by the fact that our fear of social faux pas is bigger than our fear of anything like people will die to avoid a social mistake People will watch people die in front of them, not just, uh, you know, with a medical emergency like this, but like they'll watch somebody being attacked, yeah, like on a subway or something and not act because what if, they're afraid that yeah, I mean, it would be inappropriate for them to interfere in yeah, some way. It could be like, oh, you know, maybe they're just having a little fight and they're going to yell at me because, you know, I shouldn't mm-hmm. be intervening. Mm-hmm. And just something like that will stop you from helping someone who's literally being killed. And that's very disturbing. I see people talk about the counter to this a lot on Twitter. And particularly, there are a lot of memes about women, like women who are out in, like, um, you know, partying situations or out at bars or whatever. Like, there's there's memes that go around where, you know, if you feel like you're in danger, just come up, you know, people will say, like, come up to me and pretend you know me and yeah. I will play along yeah. to help you. And that's sort of, it's putting the onus on the person who's in danger. It so it's not is, really, yeah. it's not really undoing the the bystander effect, but it is sort of a, acknowledging that that's a thing. We're like, okay, so I'm probably not going interfe- to intervene in a situation without you giving me direct permission or a, yes. or a direct request for help but if you did that i would totally be down to help you so yeah. i mean it's it's a step in the right direction but i, I st- guess so yeah i think it's important particularly if you're going if you know you're going into a situation where things might happen for example or when we're going to political protests yeah and i know there's a possibility as slim as it is this has never happened to me in any of the protests that i've been to but there's a slim possibility that I could get in a confrontation with someone from the opposite perspective of me, right? And so, or that I could see someone being in a confrontation. And I try to kind of prepare myself mentally and like walk through, okay, when this happens, what will I say? What will I do Mm -hmm. to kind of give myself a script? Because in the moment, like your your brain freezes, right? Like you can't think about... You can't come up with the appropriate response. <laughs> That's for sure. Yes. But if you've if you've like rehearsed it a little bit, I find it's a little bit easier. Yeah. I don't know. Ratings. Flight 7500 should have been grounded. Ooh. Nicely done. <laughs> it's the headline to my article very, in the New Yorker. Very nice. Okay. <laughs> Do continue, sir. I don't know. There's nothing much to say. It's a schlocky little film. It was not as schlocky as I expected, but the plot is just so broken and just not okay. I liked the twist. I liked the idea of the plane of everybody dying. Like, that's very interesting. But 
the reality of it was just about as fun as being on a plane that depressurizes. So <laughs> I just, I was an exaggeration. I just said that for fun. I actually give this one two wing gremlins out of five. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm entertaining myself with the idea that you compared this to dying in a, in, a, in a depressurization event, <laughs> and that you would rate that a two out of five. Yeah, I mean it's it's not that bad because it isn't because you you pass out and you're gone so fast. It's fine. It's one of the best options. I mean, I guess I don't know. As deaths go, two out of five. <laughs> so I. I find that the this movie, the problem with this movie, is the opposite of the problem we've had with so many of the other movies this month, mm. which is it has a really good ending, but <laughs> nothing to lead up to it properly. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. So, which is very sad. That being said, I didn't hate watching this movie. It was not great, but it was also entertaining. Like, it was... Mm. It was a good way to pass the time. Like, it's not a movie that I would insist everybody watch, but I don't, I'm not resentful of the fact that I spent time watching it, I guess. Sure. So that being said, I am going to give it two and a half wing gremlins out of five. Okay. Yeah. Fair. I mean, I think it could have been a lot better, but eh, we've seen a lot worse. We have. (laughs) Yes, we have. We've seen some things. That's that for Flight 7500. Um, I guess we will be back tomorrow with another movie review. We'll, we'll have a return trip tomorrow. I don't want to get back on that plane. That plane needs some maintenance. Mental maintenance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's called an anglerfish? That is a lame name for a fish. Angling for other fish. I want it to have a fun name. It's not a coelacant. I want it to be a coelacant. No, that's totally different. It's like this. What? It's got big teeth. That's all. This one does. I know, but it doesn't have one of these. (laughs)